Yes, yes, it is DJ Ski from Dash Radio, and you are now listening to the number one South Asian radio station in the world. I'm talking about Ruckus Avenue Radio, Dash Radio's exclusive South Asian station. Let's go. I'm a doctor, a father, an American, and Indian. I've had conversations about life from every angle, and as I've navigated the South Asian experience, I share stories of people and their purpose, and what they're saying over and over again is, trust me, I know what I'm doing. I'm Abhaydandekar, and on this episode of Trust Me, I Know What I'm Doing, I'm joined by award-winning sports journalist, documentary filmmaker, and producer, Bria Desai. Stay tuned. It's early March, and soon an almost absurd but necessary amount of my attention will get shifted to college basketball and March Madness. And by the way, from within all the madness, I'm so grateful to you for listening, for subscribing and rating the podcast, for sharing this with your friends, and for following us on social media at Dr. Abhaydandekar. So for most of my life, I've been a fan of sports, the competition, the skill, the spectacle, the thrill, and the heartbreak. It's also compelling and exciting. But for me, discussing and debating and dissecting this as a fan is equally fun and gratifying, especially to synthesize the top layer of emotions into more analysis. But perhaps as you peel back some of the layers and start examining a bit deeper, and staring a bit longer, and thinking a bit harder, what you unearth are complexities and reflections and nuances that add far more texture to the view of sports as a vehicle of culture. So who better to talk to about this than Priya Desai? Priya is a journalist, documentary filmmaker, and producer who's from St. Louis and now is at home in New York City. She started her reporting career with New York One News, covering politics and breaking news, and then sports stories. She joined Sports Illustrated in 2014 and covered the intersection of sports, race, politics, and culture. With recent award-winning reporting on COVID's effect on a small-town football program and an in-depth investigation into sexual misconduct accusations at an elite college soccer program, her writing and reporting are patient, diligent, relevant, and so conscious of these important intersections. Priya is currently a producer on HBO's Game Theory with Bomani Jones, which starts on March 13th. It was so great to chat with Bria as we talked about how she got here, about how her mom's strong St. Louis Cardinal knowledge influenced her to think differently, and about why more recently we all seem to have a heightened sense of urgency to this. I think, well, first and foremost, compared to like when we were growing up, social media has really allowed these athletes to voice whatever opinions they have in a way that we've never seen. It used to be that the media was like the true conduit, you know, between athletes and their fans. And now it's, they're able to create their brand in the way they see fit. So there's just a lot more access to them and a lot more access to information that we've never seen before. And this whole idea of like being a brand as part of your job is, you know, a phenomenon that's sort of come onto the scene, like I say, what, over the past decade. So I think that's one of the biggest changes. Well, for you, I I imagine that your work is just constantly buzzing and it's amplified and, and trying to dissect out how these 
stories are at the sort of center of culture and and thinking about it or even you know positioning yourself to to have an opinion on all of these things i mean it must just be a frenzy in that way right now yeah you have to really be careful um and understand what information is out there that's vetted and what information out there isn't because people can get in a lot of trouble i think with the mike mcdaniel story the reason it even became a story is because an outlet forgot what race he was or wasn't aware of it. And then from there, it's sort of like, like it was just a domino effect. Yeah. So it's a lot more, I hope for most reporters, it's a lot more vetting of information and you're right. Things happen very quickly. So a story will, it's light will burn for like three to four days. And then you're on to the next thing. Does it make, because of the sort of speed of that, does it make it so that sometimes the stories themselves become disposable? That like, they don't have necessarily a whole lot of longevity to it. So as a journalist, like, how do you make it so that the message in some ways or the reporting lasts? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Like you look at like the Ben Simmons trade and we talked about mental health for like a week. (laughs) (laughs) It was was over. Yeah. Yeah. Then it was just like done. Uh, you had your echo chamber and Twitter doing their thing. Yeah. And I think that comes to uh, what I'm doing, which is sort of more deep dives and more investigative pieces. And, you know, th- that's why there is such a, for me, is such a huge importance on keeping newsrooms like fully functioning and equitable. And so there is an next generation of reporters because you need reporters to kind of go in and, make sure that the stories that needs a deep dive and need to like really be looked at are being looked at because the appetite for fast news is huge right now. And there's nobody has any attention span anymore. I mean, me included, right? Like I'm on Twitter all day, every day, just getting all this information. And you could tell me as a physician, there's a point where your brain can only take so much, right? Like it's going to eventually forget some things that you scrolled through on your Twitter feed at some point. But it's, it's almost as if like, you know, you, everyone just sort of skims the surface, right? I mean, you're constantly bouncing from story from idea to idea. And I guess, you know, which idea deserves the deeper dive, which, which of them aggregate into a deeper dive to say like, look, these are all the same theme. They're just different pieces of the, of the same kind of question that, that, that should be asked in that way. Yeah, that's actually a really good point. And there's sometimes a, a fear, like, am I doing enough? What's like, what am I doing next? Like, what's my next story? What should I deal with next? And yeah, you then end up like working seven days a week, right? Like it can really <laughs> sort of take a toll on your life. But the truth is there's not enough time to focus on everything. So you do the best that you can. And also not every single reporter is going to be like, there's this idea that like, once you hit a certain level, like you are able to give your opinion or your expertise on, you know, everything from like NFL trades to like the war in Ukraine. It's, and that's not the case. I know there's a lot of people who think they have that expertise. I certainly do not. I quite often say, I don't have enough information to comment on this. So I'm going to keep it moving. And that needs to happen. I think a little bit more. Well, for someone who lives at that corner, right, sports and race and politics and sort of how it sort of centers in in culture, does the specialization or the expertise that you've developed over the years, 
does it in some ways beg the question that actually what you're good at is knowing what not to necessarily answer? <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. So I, um, a little background on how, like not when, but how I sort of got into this little yeah. like niche. That's not so much of a niche anymore was I went from just doing very like, you know, going to locker rooms and covering all the teams here in New York to then slowly becoming like a features reporter and doing just like very, very like lighthearted. This is, you know, a day in the life of this player and their dog. Right. And I slowly started realizing like, there's, there's like more to do than besides these fluff pieces. So there's a lot of crossover in sports. How long ago was that, by the way? Like that was 2005. So at the time I worked at a news station here in New York and my department was like, this is stupid. Nobody cares about this. Sure. I was like, no, I think that this is something that's going to be important. And I think yeah. for me, one thing that like one talent I do have is kind of seeing what is kind of coming on the horizon. And it, it's exactly what happened. Deadspin became like deadspin. Right. Right. And then that whole thing like went into play where it's not just about, what the box scores are and, you know, mm -hmm. who won the game and the, the three questions that players get asked after the game, it right. became much larger than that. Yeah. And through that whole process. And I just, I really enjoyed it. So I kind of stuck, I stuck with it and went on to sports illustrated and, you know, now I'm at HBO. Yeah. But what helped me do is I learned how to really dig into a story, right? Like I think that's a skill set that is takes a while to learn how to get your information, yeah. uh, what information is correct, uh, what information may just kind of be out there, how to vet information. All that stuff helped me, yes, exactly, like realize when I'm just, I'm way out of my league, no, no pun intended. Is there a good one, by the way? That's a, that's a dad joke um, <laughs> that, that absolutely resonates with me, I guess. As you first started out in doing some of these, like, I guess, minor pieces or like, you know, stories that seem like they're sort of peripheral, but then grew to understand maybe what the gravitas was of them, or, or for that matter, how they might link to future stories or position them in such a way that they might be important. How hard is it as a consumer, let alone a reporter, to, to separate this from the kind of just general loyalty and admiration that people have for sports and, and athletes and even organizations for that matter, you know, is, is there a difficulty at least early on, was there a difficulty in separating out the like, Hey, wow, this is sports. And I have some kind of admiration for it versus this deserves a, a pretty deep dive into dissecting this out and asking more questions and, and understanding maybe the depths of it. You know, I went into my career always like I'm a, I'm a journalist first. Yeah. And I started off actually working in breaking news and covering politics. And I think that helped me yeah. sort of, instead of just going straight from college into covering, you know, whatever, like minor league teams and then pro teams or whatever. Yeah. I had a basis of like an actual journalism, hard news career before then I, I switched over into sports. So I knew I was, I was able to com compartmentalize. And I think that's very important. There are a lot of people that don't know how to do that. And you'll see them get called out on Twitter all the time because they look like fan boys. Yeah. Usually men. <laughs> I tend to said it's usually right. men. And it's, yeah, it's really difficult. But at the same time, I think if you are a sports fan, which I still am, like there have been times where I'm like, 
you know, when you're covering one more investigation at the NFL, you're like, oh, how can I watch the Super Bowl? It gets very frustrating. Um, But as a sports fan, you also, and and a, a journalist and seeing how these athletes train and dedicate themselves to their sports, there is a respect for that. So that continues. Yeah. Are the questions that you ask now compared to the questions you asked at the beginning of your career, you know, now in thinking about sports culture and its links to race and politics, as, as you mentioned, is this, are, are you seeing that this is kind of just a good mirror of who we all are? The, yeah. Is it a true mirror? Is it a vanity mirror that sort of like, glorifies things too much or is it sort of a reflection of pure power and the levers that are behind that in in some ways i think the reason that it's really grown in scale and become the way sports reporting has where it is now as opposed to like 15 20 years ago besides what we were just talking about with like social media etc etc is that we just, I think we hit a point when it came to news and current events where the audience was sort of spoken at and with sports, like it's so ingrained in everyday culture um, around the world. Right. I'm not going to say just the States, but here in the States that you're just able, people are able to be more involved. Like you talk about, something like I'll pick something Monday, not even controversial, like labor law, right. And unions and collective bargaining. If you talk about that in the everyday sense, it's like you just, you'll fall asleep. Now you connect that to what's happening right now, major league baseball. All of a sudden you have something that you're connected to and you're interested and people get in the conversation. And I think that's wonderful. Like I would, you know, I love that people are now understanding what, the collective bargaining agreement is and what you deserve as a worker uh, versus the owner. And then you see that in the larger sense of what's going on in the United States when it comes to, you know, guaranteed minimum wages and workers' rights, et cetera, et cetera. And let's hope that's the reason that canceling spring training will accelerate these conversations. (laughs) I hope so. Right. I mean, I think so. I think the difference between the lockout now uh, or a potential lockout. I'm not breaking yeah. any news <laughs> now versus what 94. God, yeah. how, how many years is that? That's yeah. scares me. I don't even want to know wow. how long ago that was. <laughs> is that you? Uh, you are hearing a lot more of what these players have to deal with and what they're fighting for. Right. And I think the average American can really relate to that. Even though these guys are making a ton of money, don't get me wrong, yeah. but it's a little bit more relatable and accessible. Well, maybe the graininess of it, like before, like you said, like right there was. It was sort of like a, a small conduit to, to sharing what this was all about. And now, because everything is sort of, you know, social media and it's like 24-7 new, news cycle for all this, the graininess seems like it's there for, for every American, every, you know, sort of global citizen maybe to consume because it's so relatable. Are we trying, do you, do you find that the people who are reading your stories or consuming this content, that they're trying to reflect a little bit of themselves, you know, in this? Or is it just like, Hey, you're, 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 what you're seeing here at these intersections is in fact, the story of power exerting itself um, in sports. I think that's exactly what people are seeing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I wrote a story about a university that had c- covered up for decades, sexual misconduct. I mean, the USF story, what a terrific piece. I mean, that, that was a true page turner for me. I mean, it was really, thank compl- you. 
Yeah. And it took me about a year and a half to do it. Those were the, that was one of the stories where I'm like, I can't just write this at surface. Like yeah, we have to really kind of go in. There's a lot of information there, but the reaction I got from people who were just stunned that this was happening and they just never knew about it or heard about it or women who yeah. never spoke up to me or uh, while they were at USF to kind of be grateful that like somebody actually put this pen to paper. That was very interesting. And I think, again, it goes back to putting it in this lens of of sports. It's, it's, it's much, it's, it's much more accessible because there is such a a model, like the sports model, professional and collegiate. Mm -hmm. It's such a reflection to the way we're set up in society when it comes to, you know, yeah, power and money and sort of the dis- distribution of it. Do you, as a, as someone who's telling these stories and narrating this, how do you prevent yourself from just being eternally cynical and, and staying without optimism that things either change or, or that you find, you know, some positivity out of these things? Um, that's a great question. <laughs> so number one is I do like, I, for a, a long time was not, enjoying sports like as a casual fan anymore i just couldn't do it i could not do it and so i took a break from that so on my off days my husband was like wait a second when we met (laughs) it was very different we've been together for almost eight years when we met you know it was like great yankees game yankee games on we'll watch that and then we'll you know go about our day or whatever and on my off day, I'm like, no, we need to put on bravo i cannot watch any sports today i just need a break that has since changed because I have a really good support for like other journalists yeah, and they're women, other yeah. women. And we just bent to one another and we talk and beyond that, we enjoy sports together. So that's kind of helped a little bit for me yeah. to just become a fan again. But I think it comes down to having other journalist friends and yeah, kind of realizing that, you know, everyone's dealing with this burnout. When you were growing up and, you know, as you were even going through your, your profet your early professional career, had, had you always thought about sort of sports at the center uh, of things, or is that something that sort of had to evolve over time? Even reflecting back on your time growing up, those intersections that you work at right now, were you, were these reflections and queries that, you know, oh yeah, back, even back then I was, I was thinking about these things or I was making these kinds of inquiries. I get this question asked a lot. I think there's, okay, when I started out, there were no, Kevin Nagandi was like it, right? Yeah. And he yeah. was one of, one of the first people to like, look at my stuff and give me advice. But that was the only person that I could, there was no one else out there. I mean, now it's much different um, and only getting stronger. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, my question is slightly different than that one. Now that you reflect back on, on your times, do, do you remember asking these kinds of deeper questions, even back then? I kind of took it for granted because in the sense that my, both my parents, we grew up watching sports Yeah, and I didn't think that was an anomaly. I didn't like my mother is a huge Cardinals, huge baseball fan, huge yeah. St. Louis Cardinals fan and like reads about it and knows probably more about the farm league than I do. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But right. I, I just assumed that was normal. And right. then when I realized when people would be like, that's, interesting i'm like i guess it is and then from there it kind of connected like 
wow, sports can actually really, really kind of go, can bring a, I sound so corny, so I hate saying it this way, but sports has a sort of an an international language. Yeah. And which reminds me of a story. And again, like these aren't things that I really thought of until like I actually did talk about it. Do you remember it was in the nineties when it had been a long, long time. There was in the finalist for Miss Universe, there was a Miss India and another contestant. I can't remember what it was. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh, and this is when we no, we didn't have cable, I don't think, at the time. So right, all of us right. were probably watching this. Yeah. And so it's like Miss India is gonna be Miss Universe has been you know so long. And the question they asked her was, What is one thing you would bring? to that you would like to see change in india to better the landscape whatever and her answer was i think we should have a more focus on sports at the school level yeah increased funding and stadiums and and everyone's like well she just lost because there was a hundred other answers (laughs) you could have but my mom was like no she's absolutely correct yeah yeah because when you have that common bond you kind of, my mom, my mom goes, when you have the common bond, you kind of forget that you guys are fighting, uh, in the streets over being Muslim or Hindu, right? She right. Goes, you have a right. distraction. She goes, yeah. I think it's a very smart idea. Yeah. And I, it's like those things that I, I, those conversations I remember having with my mother, um, that I, I think laid, laid the bedrock for me to right. learn how to ask questions that are seemingly outside the box. Well, so in that has now sort of like taking that thread forward and, reflecting back on the work that you've done and, and that you're about to do with HBO and, and now continuing, has the asking of these questions, has the, the, has the journey sort of unearthed any surprises in learning about yourself? Ooh, no one's asked me that before. I never thought that I would be so interested in the investigative part of this whole thing. Yeah. It's unfortunate that the more money that goes into professional sports and collegiate sports, um, you know, more money, more problems. That is very true. (laughs) And I didn't think that it would be such a big part of my career Yeah, and that I would love it this much. And that I'm, you know, that I'm actually like good at it. Like if I need information on someone, I'm going to go and be able to find it. Yeah. Were you prepared for being, you know, content with this? Like a lot of people go through and there's sort of like a career arc for them, right? It's sort of stepwise ladder in that way, sort of like there isn't really a a roadmap for understanding this journey in your case. No, it was, I think the best, (laughs) I think the most successful people are those who can disassociate from how hard it was. (laughs) Right. I'm like, I don't remember. Was it hard? And it's like, oh yeah, I worked three jobs for like 10 years out of college. Like right. I, this is right. how it worked, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, there were a lot of ups and downs. Like there was never a sort of time up until very recently yeah. where everything was very steady. It was either yeah. super highs or super lows. Sure. And you just got to hope it works out. Yeah. In that, like you reflect this representation, right? For Indian Americans, for, for Brown women, in a space that is not occupied by too many. And, you know, do you also feel the specter of responsibility for more of that to occur? Is there this aspiration for there to be uh, positions of leadership and positions of power to be able to sort of affect this kind of change and enact on that responsibility a little bit? 
Yeah, I I used to say, and I've always been very involved in the like programs with younger journalists and specifically women yeah. and women of color. And what I'm seeing now is like this, this Gen Z generation is unbelievable. Yeah. Within the South Asian community, what they're talking about and it were things that we all knew we needed to talk about specifically when it comes to, you know, mental health and uh, equitable pay in your workforce and bucking traditional norms. It is very impressive to see how open they are. And like I, where I used to be like, Oh, let me mentor, you know, let me, you know, tell you that, you know, you can go and chase your dreams. Now I'm like going the other direction where I'm like, you guys keep talking, keep speaking. What you're doing is unbelievable. I'm really proud of you. That's kind of how it's changed within the next, the past, like I say, five years. Are you finding that there's maybe some reverse mentorship happening that's sort of like helping you for you to ask some of those questions and, and for that matter, see where like this can seed into levels of leadership and, and where power actually is enacted? Yes, for sure. I, the one advice I give to a lot of, not even journalists, but anybody in the workforce is like, let's this idea of, Oh, there's a hierarchy so you yeah. don't look down, right? You just keep looking, keep looking upwards. And the, the next person in line is who you're going to get advice from. I don't believe in that. Yeah. I have a plethora of friends of all ages. And with the, with my younger friends, of course I ask questions about, you know, what, how a certain story should be highlighted. And because it could be quite different the way our generation spoke about mental um, mental illness is quite different than the way it's spoken about now. So like I ask those questions to the younger generation instead of just assuming that I know all the answers. And I think that's one way of, yes, a making me a better leader. Mm-hmm. And as opposed to some people I see in my own age yeah. who are in sort of stagnated in their leadership positions because they're very, very hesitant to say, oh, maybe we can learn something from the younger generation. Right. And it's right. so egotistical for anyone to think that, oh, just because, you know, youth means inexperience means you can't learn anything. I think that's nonsense. And it's, it's going to be, I think, to the detriment of um, a lot of people, I think, in their 40s to assume that there's nothing to, to learn from anyone yeah. younger than them. For those who might be naive to your work, and especially to Indians and South Asians that are that are global and they have global interests, why should they be compelled to share the lens that that you have? Why should they be interested in these intersections? Um, I think it makes us a more global nation. Again, yeah. very corny word, but I do I do believe in that. Yeah the way we are able to talk to one another now versus 10, 15 years ago is it's amazing, right? Like I'm gonna, yeah. someone I'm speaking to someone who is going to, who's comes to New York back and forth. She's from Iran. She DM me on Twitter and she's like, can we have coffee at next time in town? And she's a soccer reporter. I was like, yeah. sure. Yeah. From those conversations, so many things, can, right. can take place, right? Like beyond just talking about sports. And I think any, when you say, I'm not even saying specific to like the intersection of sports and, and race and culture, but you can find any intersection and whatever you're doing, 
and broaden the people in your life, the way you think about things. Like you always want to hopefully be evolving. Tell us, tell us a little bit about game theory and kind of what's coming up for you and maybe what's, what's so exciting about this. Yeah. So we premiere March 13th, um, your sports dance. I'm sure you know who Bomani Jones is. I do. Yeah. <laughs> Selection Sunday, right? Yes. That's, that's, that's the premiere. And it, it's, it's an in-depth and a reverent look into sports. I think everything that we are talking about now, yeah. and he does it in the way that he's really good at, which is like, it's smart, but it's also very funny. Yeah. And it's again, like I get really frustrated seeing a lot of sports reporting that speaks at a fan mm-hmm. instead of to them. I think this is like his take on making sure that th- that doesn't happen. And, you know, I took it because I've been in journalism for so long now and started off in television that I went to the digital world and I kind of needed a break just to focus on one thing at a time. Yeah. And I think this is that opportunity. So yeah, I'm producing over there and it's a, it's a, a way to kind of sit down with a couple topics at a time and really take a look at their relevance and like cultural relevance now and in the past and in the future. Well, Brea, we're excited for you. We're excited what it's going to mean for all of us sports fans and, and those of us asking questions and so grateful that you could join us. Brea, thank you so, so much. I, I hope you'll come back and join us again. Absolutely. I'll come back at the end of the season and tell you how it all worked out. Thanks so much, Priya. Three quick hits for the big finish. No spring training in 2022 is a true bummer. Bracketology is an actual science. And happy 15th birthday to Kanumanu. Till next time, I'm Abhaydarnika. Ruckus Avenue Radio.